My wife and I have been coming to chapel for some 25 to 30 years. We had a place about two or 300 yards below us and used to walk up here. And then our daughter wound up uh, spending six months on staff at the chapel with Edgel between uh, college and grad school. So it's good to be back here in this pulpit. I've been to this place many times, but not in a few years. And it's been wonderful to see the changes and the growth and the spiritual vitality that is a part of the chapel's life these days. Uh, I think we all have something to be thankful for. One of the things I've done with my ministry, in addition to practicing cardiology and, and ministry on staff at an Episcopal church in Waco, Texas, was teaching at Baylor in a program we started called Medical Humanities. And uh, in that, we tried to find ways to integrate the life of the spirit and the life of the faith with the world of healthcare and healthcare delivery. And one of my favorite classes to teach was a class that we called narrative medicine. And we believe that through the power of stories is how we ultimately engage the truth of our patients' lives. We can't become good healers until we can learn to listen to and engage the power of a story. And I think that's a profound way that we can think about what we just heard, because what we heard, just heard is God's story to us. It's just like saying when we were little children, Daddy, tell me a story. Well, we told God, tell us a story, and that's the story he gave us. It's the story of the Passion Week. This past summer, I was lucky enough to go on a pilgrimage to Israel with a friend of mine's church, Episcopal priest in Kerrville, Texas, and they told us at the start of that uh, pilgrimage that this is not a vacation, this is not a retreat, this is a pilgrimage. And so we engaged that whole 12 or 13 days from the notion that we were going to listen to the stories of the biblical events and engage them at some deeply personal, spiritual level. So at each place, each stop we took, we heard meditations and reflections on part of the narrative that we just heard. And it gave me a sense that the, the, what we've just heard, the Palm Sunday narrative, is not only a collection of stories that happened during the weeks before the week before the crucifixion and resurrection. It's the story that we can engage on a deeply personal level. It becomes an emotional part of our own story. Like any good stories, it calls us to listen to ourselves, to listen to our hearts, to engage God's word to us in a different and meaningful way. And so as I was thinking about that this week, I found myself wondering what the disciples were thinking about in that week. You have to remember, they had made their way from Nazareth, 100 miles north, all the way down through the Galilean shores, down through the Judean wilderness, into Jerusalem. And I'm not sure the disciples really knew what they were getting into at that point. I think they might have had some glimpses. They all had their own interpretations of who Jesus was, what his role in God's kingdom was, who the Messiah was. But as we, we hear Peter's word, they didn't really understand exactly the mess that was getting ready to happen. So we, I found myself wondering what the disciples were thinking. There are all these different sects. The Pharisees were claiming to have one answer, the Sadducees the other, the Essenes another. Jerusalem was a melting pot and a boiling pot at the time of a strategy against the Roman Empire, the powers of the world. 
And so you're not, I want, this week I wasn't quite sure if I was a disciple what I would have been thinking on Palm Sunday. I'm not sure they really understood uh, what was getting ready to transpire. But I think one of the common denominators that they experienced was fear. Fear. They knew things might be getting ready to go south, but they didn't know how bad it was getting ready to be. And it's always amazed me when we hear the biblical narratives with these strange experiences that threaten to undermine our sense of security and challenge us to be better than we were, what does God always say? Either through his or her own voice, or through the voice of an angel, he always says, fear not. Fear not. Well, how can you not fear the Sunday before Good Friday? So the question we have to ask ourselves this week is how do we engage our fears? We all have fears. We have fears of economic security, of the turmoil in our nation, of our loved ones who may be sick, of the tragedies in Nashville where our daughter lives. We all have our fears, and the disciples had their fears, but God says, fear not. You know, it's interesting to me that both psychologists and anthropologists, when you ask them how humans and most mammals respond to fear, we have two fundamental responses. Flight or fight. We run away, or we get our arms and we fight back. But the power of the gospel narrative this week is that Jesus is telling us there's a third way that we can deal with fear. We can love. It's the power of love that casts out the fear in our lives that threaten us and threaten to drown us and overwhelm us in times of stress and turmoil. turmoil and sadness. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, he had another Greek word besides agape, which we heard earlier, of the kind of love that can transform fear, and that's called kenosis. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, he talks about the self-emptying, sacrificial love of Jesus. And that's what's going on from Sunday to Friday is kenosis. It's a way that Jesus was able to empty himself through the power of radical love to transform the world and transform his disciples so that they could endure Good Friday. Without that transforming power, we become sterile shells of a failed movement. But Jesus' sacrifice that he knew he was heading towards, it becomes love in action. It's a form of... He changes the notion of love from a feeling to an action verb. And that's the most powerful single movement that any of us can be called to make. We can take the fear, the sadness, the anxiety of the unknown and turn it into something profoundly human and profoundly divine. Viktor Frankl, of all people, a Jewish refugee who was in prison, wrote a great book, called uh, uh, <laughs> about how to transform fear and in it he realized that he could only change his life and his response to the Holocaust one life one movement at a time That's he called it man's search for meaning so Palm Sunday can be sometimes seen as a premature victory lap because <laughs> 
Easter isn't here yet. It can also be seen as a prelude to Good Friday, which is a pathos. But I would submit that we can only embrace the fullness of the Passion Week until we enter this gnosis of sacrificing a piece of ourselves so that we can empty out and fill that empty spot back up with the love of God when we encounter the brokenness of the world. When we do that, I think Palm Sunday becomes a place that we can all become wounded healers. Henry Nowen, the great Catholic writer, talked about becoming a wounded healer. And true healing takes place we embrace both the brokenness and the pain that leads to Good Friday, and that prepares us then for next Sunday's celebration of life. Let us pray.